Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. North Face athlete Hillary Allen is so much more than just a runner. She's a self-described geek with a master's in neuroscience who teaches college classes. She's a mountain lover, a newly obsessed gravel cyclist, uh, and as you'll learn, a curious and evolving human who's always looking for new ways to challenge herself on a quest for constant self-improvement. I call Hillary the comeback ultra runner because during a sky race in Norway, this girl fell 150 feet, presumably to her death only to come back less than a year later to start winning races again. But Hillary realized the hard way that recovering from that kind of near-death trauma requires a lot more than just the physical rehab. Here's her story. It's Hillary Allen for No Time to Waste. 2020, it's been such a wonderfully delightful year for everyone. Full oh, yeah. of COVID and quarantine and having children running amok in our houses and brain tumors for me um, and for you... Um, talk us through your 2020 and what happened and why I just asked you if you were going to speak French during this episode. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so definitely, I mean, 2020 was, uh, pretty unexpected. I, I actually, so for the past, um, let's see, five years since I've been running, um, professionally with the North Face, I've been racing in France, uh, Europe, like normally France, Italy, Spain. I do this stuff called sky running. So it's like super steep, um, technical races that primarily are in Europe. Um, some are in the U.S. too, but I've been living abroad kind of every, for like three, four months at a time every summer for the past five years. Now, this past year in 2019, I decided to switch things up and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go like ski in the Alps and like, you know, have a yeah. Good time. Yeah. It sounds great. It sounds yeah. so, God, didn't we all have such amazing plans for this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like, tw yeah, 2019, I had this visa. So I was like a four-year visa to kind of like not have the, the the hassle of having to come back to the United States every three months. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm just going to go there and um, then I'll come back for the spring racing season and kind of switch things up my home base. Well, long story short, we all know what happened. And so I ended up like like the U.S. basically, they shut their borders um, and I had this flight planned and it was like literally the day after the U.S. borders were shut, <laughs> so I was like, well, I was um, dating this wonderful man at the time, and um, so it was fine. I was like, you know, we got to kind of go quarantine in a cabin in the woods somewhere. Um, Sounds romantic. Sounds very French, very romantic. Very French, especially because, like, you know, we followed the French schedule to the T, um, you know, like, yeah, 9 a.m. breakfast, like, you know, 8, 9 a.m. breakfast and 10 a.m. snack. Like, it revolves around, like, food. It was kind of awesome. So, I mean, I just kind of really embraced the culture, took it as an opportunity to really embrace being in a foreign country, living abroad. I do not really know – actually, I did not know any French. So, um, I took advantage of the, like, of the opportunity to learn French. I speak Spanish from before. I used to live in Spain for a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, so I speak Spanish fluently, but French was a whole different ball game. So I learned, um, I learned to make pasta. I learned to make a whole bunch of French dishes. I learned how to speak French and I got to, once we were like de-quarantined, like go on a bunch of crazy adventures before, um, finally moving back to the States, um, like in October of this, of 2020. If you're listening and you want to hear more about Hillary's experience this year in France, um, there was a great interview 
that was in September on irunfar.com. Yeah. Um, that was like a, a great catch up with Hillary. So I don't <laughs> want to waste our time going through things that are already sort of out there on the interwebs um, that people can either read or I didn't find any podcast interviews for 2020. Oh, yeah. I think actually that interview is pretty. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Everyone, this is an exclusive. <laughs> this is an exclusive. No Time to Waste has an exclusive interview with Sky Running Champion and Comeback Ultra Runner, but so much more, Hillary <laughs> Allen. Thank you. You should have told me I'm now going to slap instead of an E for explicit. E is going to mean exclusive. Awesome. So this, is an, this is awesome. This is an exclusive. What was, what was, I guess, one of the things that you really missed after, um, you know, kind of the, the shine of European mountain living in quarantine with your new French boyfriend? Laura? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> What's one of the things that you're like, uh, and you can't say family because obviously, of course, you, so it can't be people related. Oh, it can't be people related. No, it cannot. Because I know you've said, I know you said before that you missed your family, which duh. Well, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, but okay. I, I, I don't know if I count this as people related, but um, I mean, maybe it is, but like community. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I know even in like, and I think community to me is like kind of more of an abstract thing because mm -hmm. um, I mean, living in a foreign country, we, it was very strict there. Like we had a one kilometer radius and like a one hour exercise kind of like limit. And so it was uh, pretty heavily enforced. Like I had to sign a paper um, and like, you know, if and, and you would get stopped. Like I actually didn't leave the premises of this little cabin for three months because um, as a foreigner, it put me in a, like I didn't I had my visa, but it wasn't like like secure. So um, I was, uh, you know, I definitely because that was, quote unquote, my job, like um, mm -hmm. I, and I still have my bike trainer. So I still was able to kind of push the limits also because I was 15 kilometers from the nearest city. So I was running on frontage road, which to me are like super safe. Right. Like it's like. Right. I mean, it's, it's not like a technical trail. So it's like, you know, I could push the limits a little bit. But of course, I was very cautious because, uh, you know, I couldn't get stopped. But still, it's like it's that sense of like, this isn't my home. And mm -hmm. no matter how welcoming and how like at home I feel in the mountains in you know, this like grander sense of the word, um, it still wasn't my home country and my home culture and things are a lot different. It was very hard, um, I think, emotionally. I wrote a piece on um, the importance of mental health. And um, I've been a person who like who really had to has had to pay attention to mental health and a lot of, you know, um, you know, just just in athletic life in general, a lot of like the recovery that I've had to undergo as an athlete. But like living in France, I kind of hit a new low. And mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I nearly died. I like have gone through some tremendous injury recoveries where I've like lost my sense of self and identity. But this was different because I was, I mean, like I'm an introvert, but like uh, I also like need human connection. And so, you know, a time change, like Colorado is eight hours behind me at this point. Um, and so I would have to wait until 2 p.m. until, you know, my mother was out walking the dog at 6 a.m. to be able to like, you know, have conversations with my family. Or then again, you know, my other friends, maybe they don't wake up so early. So like, you know, um, or, you know, if my, my work friends like 9 a.m. to kind of start like interacting with all the people that I'm coaching. And it's just like that. And then, you know, I felt pulled between two worlds because I was trying to learn French and really be present in that area. Um, but, you know, like dinner and things start at like 7 p.m. And then, you know, it's like this whole thing until 10. And I really had to pay, pay attention and be present there. So I felt like I really didn't have any time 
to interact with my community. And I felt like I was losing who I was because I couldn't like literally communicate. It's like, I'm a, I'm a very high functioning person. Like I have a master's degree in neuroscience. I have a ton of opinions (laughs) and I was literally not able to express myself to the, like, like my intellectual capacity that like my potential that I could. And that was really hard. So yeah, I mean, that was one of the main things that I, that I miss, like community, this kind of like what that actually means to literally feel at home in a place, regardless of like actual, like, you know, physical interactions, even though, cause like, that's very hard to come by in 2020. I think, uh, I really love the French way of eating because they eat very good food, but it's also just like the culture of like, like communal eating, like eating around uh, a table. It's like, you know, eating with awareness, right? Like whereas Americans basically (laughs) rarely, myself included, check in with ourselves and our bodies to be like, wait, am I hungry? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a question I like never ask myself before I put food in my mouth. The food goes in my mouth. And then like, at some point the train like stops on the tracks and I realize, oh God, I ate too much. And I like never even checked in with myself to see if it's hungry. (laughs) Whereas I feel like other cultures, it's like you check in to see if you're hungry. Yeah. You eat if you're hungry. And guess what? If you're not hungry, you don't eat. (laughs) Or you just don't eat as much. Exactly. So, I mean, it's like, it's, it's all that, it's all that kind of stuff. It's just like, just kind of like balance. I mean, and I take that into like how I am here. Um, but yeah, so in like many ways, it was beautiful to learn about a new country, a new culture, a new country. It's something I've always wanted to do, like live abroad. And as an adult, I would say it's quite difficult because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you just have to put yourself out there. But I think it's, uh, Again, like I think it's this like continual pursuit to like be the best version of myself and learn as much as I can and and pack as much things as I can into this, you know, this short life. So once again, no time to waste scores a not your average bear. I would like Mm -hmm. to go back in time, if you Mm -hmm. don't mind, a couple of years and we will get back here because I do want to talk about um, the post on your website, HillaryAllen.com. Hillary in 2017 was uh, doing a sky race in Norway. And when I say sky race, there's trail running, there's mountain running, and then sky racing is like its own little (laughs) bucket because basically picture the scariest picture you can think of of a person running along like a mountaintop on a ridgeline where you go to yourself, how could they possibly be running that? Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. That's like literally sky running. It's like running races where you run ridgelines like that. And Hillary, uh, do I have that right? Yeah, Hillary, I mean, you're laughing. So I think, I mean, yeah, definitely. There, I mean, not every race is uh, sky running. I think technically, it's like this series that started from the sea to the sky. Um, so mm. it's like just basically, it's like imagine the most like it's pretty steep terrain. Like so, a lot of my 50 kilometer races, which are about 31 miles would start with a vertical kilometer. So that's where you, you in, a, in a distance, in a longitudinal distance of five kilometers, about three miles, you would climb a thousand meters. So that's like, you know, 3,300 feet, like to begin this race. It's like insane. Um, and so they're, re- they're usually like pretty like steep, demanding technical trails, usually involving some ridge lines. Um, but yeah, this is kind of how I got my start in ultra running, I did like a, the U.S. sky running series, which were typically kind of like, you know, ski resorts because that's where you could get the most like elevation gain. 
Um, and yeah, the descents are like super punishing now. I like thinking about it. I'm like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but like, it's a super fun style of racing. It's kind of how I got my start. Um, and it's how I got my nickname, Hilly Goat. So I, I mentioned how I would spend every summer kind of traveling and racing in Europe. This was because I was doing the World Skyrunning Series circuit and primarily those races were in Europe. And so in my attempt to, you know, save the planet with like travel, <laughs> traveling, I would take one flight and kind of like dirt bag it around, uh, figure out my housing and my, my way to kind of like sustain myself until the next race. Um, and then I would stay there all summer and only have to take like one return trip back. But I was doing this kind of thing and I ended up in Norway um, at this, it's called the Humperrocken um, Sky Race, which is about a 57 kilometer race um, in Norway. And it's like one of these bucket list places I always wanted to go. And it was this insane race that was um, like, yeah, like pretty iconic. Like this Humperrocken Ridge was like third class scrambling. Um, so I say three third class, it's like I had to have like three appendages on the ground. So like two feet. So it's like <laughs> two feet and one arm. <laughs> so like fourth class would be like, you know, you'd use like all four appendages. So maybe a little bit of that because it would get like steep where I'd have to like navigate through um, like rocks or stuff. Um, but I, I say like three because it's like technically running would be one um, and like hiking is two. So it's at this point where it's like either steep enough or technical enough that you're kind of like jogging, like moving fast, but not really technically running unless you're killing a journey, which he was, you know, the race organizer. Um, and, um, so basically this, this race, um, I was about halfway through and this was at this point when I was actually kind of like, I was winning the world's Skyrunning series at this point. I was ranked number one from the composite results of, um, like the season that was going on in 2017. And so this race was kind of like a bonus. It was, uh, I still had one more race remaining in the series. Um, so this one was kind of like a victory lap. Like I could just like kind of play. And I remember I was like, kind of like coming into third place and I was having like a great time and I was on Humper Rock and Ridge, like this type of terrain, like the third class, the stuff I really enjoy and I, I train on it. So I'm quite comfortable on it. Um, one minute I was running or in the next minute I was like the horizon had turned upside down and the next minute I realized I was falling. It was, yeah. Like I remember several of the impacts. Um, I remember my voice even like floating above me and like telling me that this was it, that I was dying. I still sometimes have that dream. It's quite like, it's still vivid in my head. Um, long story short, I fell 150 feet, um, 150 feet, um, off of that ridge line, um, kind of tomahawked hitting the ground several times. Um, miraculously, I survived somehow. Um, in fact, the Manu Par, he's a, he was a racer that I, um, he had seen the accident. He is actually trained in search and rescue and he saw it and just went into kind of like business mode and, um, came down to me. And when he found me, he said he thought I was dead. And so he thought, he was doing a, like a body recovery. And so he like took me so that I wasn't going to fall anymore. And then that's when he heard me like, or felt me breathing. And then it kind of went into kind of a more rescue operation at that point. How many times do you think you've told the story and are you sick of it? <laughs> um, you know, sick of it is not the right word. Um, it's something that's happened to me. And like some days I actually feel like sad about it because it's like, you know, it's like, it's something that grief. changed my life. Like it's, it's not this, like, it's not always this triumphant, like, Oh, like I recovered from this incredible thing. Like I broke 14 bones and like, 
I mean, like, you know, I've done a TED talk on this as well. Um, it's not always just this, like, yeah, like I beat all the odds. Like I like recovered and now I'm running again. Like, it's not always just like happy all the time. Um, it can be, it's like, it can be really sad and like still sometimes pretty like traumatic to think about it. Because totally. I'm a pensive person. Like, you know, it's like that one moment. It's just like, I think I started my TED talk with like just one step and it just changed everything. And in many ways it's happened three years ago. Like I'm still dealing with some of the injury recovery now and in like definitely the mental recovery. I mean, and that wasn't even the end of my story. Like I made a full recovery return to running and uh, it's like 18 months later, I broke my ankle and I had to do it all again. And then I hit like a new low that I had no idea because instead of, you know, having the, well, at least you're not dead kind of thing, like, you know, right. like to hold on to be like, woohoo, you know, like I was just yeah. like, like I slipped on the ice, like outside of my freaking house after I had finished running on a trail in the snow, like. What? what and I just I yeah and um it's like just when you think everything is awful you know and I usually bring that up not to be like the bearer of bad news or be like a bummer but more to remind people to take a look around myself included mm -hmm. and look at all the things that we have mm -hmm. right versus the things that we don't have and when yeah. you know you're a professional athlete and you go through an injury and your identity is tied up in that. And for someone like you who had just been through so much to like rise up triumphant like the Phoenix, right? And then to like ironically just slip on ice outside of your door and have to sit through, have to sit it out again. Um, yeah. I can't imagine how like devastating that must have felt. Yeah. And I mean, it's like this isn't coming from like a woe is me, but it's just kind of like a uh just a realization that it's like i feel like physical health and like um especially for an athlete to train it's like more apparent it's like okay like i have this goal i'm going to train but sometimes we forget me included that you know mental health is, is 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 as important to kind of work on and have like a daily practice um one thing that i did for that daily practice was writing um like journaling was incredible for me and it ended up like coming into this idea of writing a book and so I wrote this book, like kind of documenting my recovery. Um, but I, it's, so it's, it's called Out and Back. It's coming out April 6th in 2021. Um, but like, I think it's more of just a testament to the human spirit and how resilient mm -hmm. we are and how it's like, instead of thinking, instead of thinking of like all of these challenges is like, oh my gosh, this is something happening to me. It's like, we have this choice that we can, it's a, it's a choice of empowerment. It's like, well, this is an mm -hmm. opportunity. This is like where I get to choose what my fate is. Like after that accident, when I broke 14 bones and, um, you know, I was miraculously alive, but my, my running career was like in jeopardy, but also my, my, you know, my quality of life. And, um, like I was told that I would never run again. And instead of, you know, it was quite humbling to hear that, like I needed to hear it. But at that point it taught me, it's like, okay, like I have a choice. I can choose to give up and roll over or I can choose to fight every day and I can like, yeah, like I can dictate my own future. I can, I can make the decisions if I want to run again. And like, that's it. It's like, if I get to, or if I want to, and it was beautiful to be able to like rediscovery the, the rediscover the magic of like, 
running and what that means to me and movement and discovering new sports. And I think it is, it's all about kind of like shifting perspectives and like, instead of thinking of like, oh, this is happening to me. It's like, no, like I get to choose. How yeah. It's like taking your power back. That's yeah. what you're talking about. Absolutely. Right? You're like, yeah. absolutely. Like I feel this like a hundred um, and listeners who've heard me with other guests have heard me talk about just sort of, you know, the power of gratitude and mindset and the ability to have nothing change in your external world, right? Have no control over external circumstances. Yet if you figure out how to hack your brain and shift your mindset, it has the power to change your entire perspective and your entire world. It's um, it, like I said, it's, it's like basically an invitation. And I use my story of recovery and different aspects of in my life to like kind of use this as uh, like just an example of mm-hmm. like what it means when you're faced with an impossible situation and like it's an opportunity for you to prove that like you're stronger than you think you are. So um, talk to me about what did ch- what has changed since your accident in your identity as an athlete and your athletic pursuits, like how has basically what you just described of this fall in which you actually have a vivid memory of almost talking to yourself or seeing yourself above or outside of yourself, telling yourself that you're going to die a memory so vivid, vivid that it like follows you in dreams. Now, Mm -hmm. how has that impacted the decisions that you make as an athlete from a risk perspective? Do you think about your mortality now? How has that changed those types of activities? Yeah. Um, I mean, for sure. Definitely. I think, I feel like the physical recovery for me, maybe I returned, like I was, I did my first race like 10 months after the accident. Like it was quite incredible. Like recovery for me was a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like the mental part of it just really persisted. I had to see like a psychologist, a sports, a sports psychologist. Um, what did that look like when you say the mental part of it persisted? Like it's, it's shifted, it's changed. Um, it's been, um, constant. Um, I would say like every year I could discover kind of new things. Like the first, the first year I was kind of like dealing with a bunch of, um, Oh man, this is, this is crazy. Like I remember, so like for me, it like came into like relationships. So like, um, I was so like, I felt like I had like lost time and I felt like I had to like make up for lost time. And so I was kind of like, like taking all the physical steps, but skipping mental steps. And so like wanting to return to racing, but like not quite being like emotionally ready. And that really presented itself when I broke my ankle, like 18 months later. And I was like, you know, dating this guy at the time. And like, it was amazing. And like, we were like falling in love. But then like, I, like, as soon as I broke my ankle, like it all came crumbling down. Like I like couldn't handle it because I was just like, I couldn't accept help. Like I couldn't believe that I was here again. And that to me was just like, like all of this stuff. It's like, I was relying too much on like, again, like my physical ability to, you know, to go like from day to day. And that that's not who I am. I'm like, I'm more than just that. And so to me, it kind of like, I had to restart the recovery again, but yes, like physical, but also just like emotional and being able to, um, 
you know, understand like what it was, like, why did I want to return to racing and why was I holding on to this so much? Like, why was it so important to me that like, when I broke my ankle, I felt like I had lost like everything. And yeah. like, then, you know, like pushing away people who like you love the most. Right. Um, and it's a really hard lesson, but I mean, to me, it just was an opportunity to be like, okay, Hill, like this really, like, you know, this is an opportunity for you to like really learn what's happening. And so I kind of got a little bit like, you know, a little bit better at it, like in the injury recovery, like I then learned another sport and I was like, yeah, I'm not just a runner. Like I like to explore and do other things. And like, I kind of like built out this other piece of me. I, I like the sport, the sport is cycling that, that. Yeah, oh, she's grinning ear to ear everyone right now she's grinning she's smitten you have a crush on gravel bikes and they're amazing and like and i got into gravel biking i did my dirty cans at 200 it's called unbound gravel now um it's my first ever bike race only two months of riding on gravel so yeah um but uh and it's quite technical but um no so it's like i got to just kind of like I don't know. I got to find out that different part of me and then lean more into coaching and like giving back to a community and like mm-hmm. that nourished nourish me in like a really cool way of being able to help other people and like, you know, like teach them about recovery and resilience and what that actually means, what that actually looks like. And it's not straightforward and it's not linear. And then like, and it's not just physical. And it's not just physical. It's, yeah. it's hugely emotional. It's hugely like, yeah, yeah just like spiritual, whatever you think it. Uh, totally. And- all encompassing. And then, but the main thing that I was dealing with, um, especially after the ankle break was fear. Um, fear is, was a huge thing and definitely it reared its ugly head. Like when I was in France, because like I had all these goals and these things I wanted to do, but because it was in such a new environment and I was like second guessing myself and like, didn't feel at home. Like I was scared. I felt like scared to do some of these, like, um, bigger ridges or like this stuff that like, you know, would felt comfortable even the year before, like learning to ski again after I broke my ankle was terrifying and I hadn't really had to overcome that. And so it kind of opened up this whole new chapter where it's like, I realized I was dealing with a lot of this fear that I hadn't really overcome from the accident. And not that it's something you can conquer. Like, I think I can become more comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, this whole idea of fear and I kind of took some really cool steps. Like I called up my friend, David Gutler, who is an alpinist from the North face team. And I told him I had this crazy idea that I wanted to do some 4,000 meter peaks in the Alps. And like, if you're, if you're, if you go above like 12,000 feet in the Alps, you're going to be on a glacier. So this means you have to like have a partner, have a rope, like have an ice axe and like crampons and like the whole thing. If an ice axe is involved, like that's when, you know, like shit just got real. Yeah. And so like, I literally like, like faced my fears because I had to like, like in one of these peaks, I did like six peaks in the Monterosa Massif in the Italian Alps. And um, Margarita was like, you know, 15,000 feet, but some of these other um, Cor- Nero, it's a um, a peak um, kind of in that, uh, the, the um, Monterosa Massif. And you have to climb this like 50 meter ice wall. It's like less than vertical. So it's like, you know, for climbers, it's like a walk in the park. Like David just did it like no problem. But me, I was like crying because I was like, like, no, like, well, yeah, 
But yeah, so it's just like stuff like that. And like, they're just, they're opportunities. Yeah. It's like, it might suck. You might like, you know, um, hit some new lows, but like with every new low, I found something else that I wanted to work on. And I feel like I'm working on being more kind of complete and, um, yeah, which is so interesting. What you and I talked about quickly before we were recording the other day was, you know, here is someone. And that's why I just think in reading your blog about mental health and hearing you talk about recovery, but also evolution going beyond just the physical is this integration of what so many, I think athletes, and I think 2020 has taught a lot of athletes is that the physical component is really only one piece of performance and like one piece of us Mm -hmm. as humans, right? There is other, there are other parts of us, namely the mental, emotional, and spiritual parts of us that many people only learn the hard way how critically important those other aspects are to our overall health and to like what makes us human beings right and you are someone which is why i mentioned it earlier who is exceptionally intelligent who is educated in the field of neuroscience (laughs) who understands and has pursued like additional learning around our brain function and how it impacts our day to day. And yet someone (laughs) like, right, like this, like you could still be made aware of sort of gaps or um, empty spots in your development as a person. And namely, which was spurred by your recovery or the needed recovery from this accident in order for you to go, whoa, I need to talk to a sports psychologist. I want to do some therapy. I want to like work through this as a person and pursue and see what's there because I am more than just my physical body Mm -hmm. and my health is actually made up of so much more than just whether or not I'm injured. Yeah. I mean, and even like that is still hard even now because it's something that I I like so much and I like, you know, exploring and seeing the world that way. So it doesn't mean it gets any easier, (laughs) Um, but it is a worthwhile pursuit. And I use that word because I think for me, it's a continual pursuit. It's something I'm going to have to work on, you know, my whole life um, and constantly kind of like re, um, not redefining, but just reestablishing that balance in that relationship. What would you say to someone? So I... I've been in therapy for like, not physical injuries for like just so much (laughs) other stuff since basically college, like in Mm -hmm. and out. And the way I describe it to people who have not been through any sort of therapy, be it a sports specific therapy, be it cognitive behavioral therapy, um, any sort of other specific uh, attachment therapy, whatever is, you know, I see a good therapist as like a fantastic personal trainer, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a fantastic coach or trainer that is, that's that, you know, the relationship has to be there first so that you can trust the person and be vulnerable with them. But then really it's like, it's, you are asking someone to help you elevate your life and you are probably going to discover new muscles emotionally that you've (laughs) never had to use. Right. Which means the first couple sessions are, you're going to be really sore and like really (laughs) drained from it. It's, you know, but like, You've got to think about the long-term benefits and trust that there's a reason why it hurts right now. It's because you're activating new muscles, but then as you activate them and you work on them, it's going to get easier. And then you guess what? You're going to start to see the benefits. So then you're actually going to be like, 
instead of being like, oh, I have to like go to that appointment, you're actually going to be like, I want to see what I figure out today. And you become a little bit more curious, a little bit more motivated. You start to see the benefits. And then hopefully over time you go, whoa, you like look in the, you know, figurative mirror and you're like, I look different. I'm acting different. I'm like evolving. I'm like more aware, you know? And then you're like, then you get, then you start peacocking a little bit. Cause you're just like, I'm like kind of like turning into me 2.0 and yeah. you know, the most beautiful thing about like humans is the fact that like we're emotional beings, like, and you can't science the shit out of emotions. You just can't, it doesn't work that way. And uh, yeah. So it's like, so I feel like, and, and obviously like, um, you know, a, th- a therapist, a counselor, whatever, they don't have all the answers, but they're like, I feel like it's, it's just another perspective where you can kind of like talk things out and get out of your own head. I feel like that's just useful. And especially for me, I think in sports psychology and for me, um, in, um, you know, in, in trauma recovery, like, I didn't have the answers. Like I needed an expert to help me like deal with these emotions and to figure out how to kind of like attack a problem. If, you know, like I get scared on a ridgeline and like I'm feeling all this anxiety, like what are some steps that I could do? And then like from a sports psychologist, like, you know, how do you deal with like pre-race anxiety? How do you define yourself like outside of sport? Because that's mm-hmm. how you, you can perform at your best because you feel fulfilled in sport, but also fulfilled in who you are outside of it. So, I mean, I think it's just, um, for me, it's like presenting kind of these problems or these things that you're struggling with from to an outsider and then, you know, having them help you out. Like everyone needs a team. Like, I mean, that's totally. the best thing that I learned through recovery. Like I can't do this alone. Yeah. And that also gets back to what you said originally about the thing that you miss the most being in Europe and Mm -hmm. that it was people oriented, but it was, but it really was like a sense of community Mm -hmm. as a, as someone that still has an athlete's mindset, regardless of my physical ability right now, um, that idea of feeling like you're a part of a team, um, is something that I think is really important to staying motivated. To me, it's like being part of a team. Um, the most, the coolest part about being a part of a team, and like I played tennis in college, so yeah, it's individual, but it, you are a part of a team. It's like even if you win, like you know, you you want to win because you're going to help your team win. Like, but like the p- coolest part about that is because everyone wants to feel like they matter, like that they belong, that they like are worth something, and like. Yeah you are like, and it's like something that I've had to learn through everything because it's like, but first of all, like I had to learn to show up for myself and that I am worth something. And then asking for help that to me shows myself that I know that I'm worth it. So it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for help because it's like, it's like reinforcing the fact that I feel like, you know, needed and wanted. And then like, you know, that other person helps me to like, be like, yeah, okay. Like I'm going to help you with this. And then it just kind of reinforces that positivity of like, you know, feeling a part of something. Totally get it. Um, I totally get it. I'm so excited to read the book out and back that comes out, uh, next April in 2021. All right. Last question for you. Um, so when I talk about no time to waste, I basically mean confronting mortality crafting a life without regret, maximizing moments um, by focusing on the three things I talk about, which you've already talked about, gratitude, connection, and joy. 
Um, so now that you have <laughs> been to the edge, fallen and come back, um, what does that mean to you in terms of how you live your life today? Like there's no time to waste. Literally, I think about like, just go out and grab life by the balls. Like totally. it, does not, it does not matter. Like it's, it's just like, it's my life and I want to live it the best way that I can. Um, and yeah, just like, you know, pick these like big, hairy, audacious goals and like go after them. And it can be athletic. It can be personal. It can be, you know, emotional. It can, but it's just like, yeah, just go out there and get it. That's what I think. Shoot for the stars, even if you miss, or what is it? Shoot for the moon. And even if you miss, you'll be among the stars. There's something stitched on a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) There's something on Pinterest. Yeah. yeah, that's about like dreaming big, whatever. Um, well, this was this was awesome. Um, Hillary Allen, comeback ultra runner, endurance junkie, which goes beyond just one sport and, um, you know, science nerd and not your average bear. Um, I love hearing, obviously, your your comeback story physically. But frankly, I live I love more um, seeing you write about your journey back to health, um, being inclusive of, of the mental, emotional, and spiritual health too. Um, I mm-hmm. encourage everybody to, while they wait patiently for April and Hillary's book out and back to come out, um, to check out her website at hillaryallen.com. Um, her blog is awesome and so well-written and authentic. Um, her post about mental health, I will include the link um, in this episode. Um, so you'll see those links and follow her on Instagram and the link that's going to be uh, on uh, the episode as well. Hillygoat underscore climbs. Thank you so much for taking the time, Hillary. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks. Okay. So if you really want to maximize your moments, you could pitch in and help us get the word out. Just rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That's it. Oh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes and bonus content. For more motivation, head to notimetowasteproject.com or join the squad on Instagram at no time to waste project. Grazie mille.